Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Ed Miller, and welcome to another episode of I One Two, the podcast that spotlights important role players from your favorite professional teams and their journey to becoming a champion. This week, we turn our attention to one of the National Hockey League's all-time rosters, the 1990-91 Pittsburgh Penguins. With names like Mario Lemieux, Yaramir Yager, Ron Francis, Paul Coffey, Brian Trottier, and Larry Murphy, this week's guest fit in perfectly as a stay-at-home defenseman who wasn't afraid to throw his body around or drop the gloves. Drafted 43rd overall in 1983 out of Providence College, he played 11 seasons in the NHL with Winnipeg, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, and Tampa Bay. After coming over in a trade midway through the season from the Minnesota North Stars, he had 11 points in 39 games with the Penguins in 1990-91, adding three points in the postseason in route to defeating Minnesota in six games to earn the franchise's first Stanley Cup. And he even followed up with a second championship ring the following year, despite not playing in the postseason. Oh, and he was also my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme film, Sudden Death. So, let's talk to today's guest, Peter Taglianetti. You were born just outside of Boston. When did hockey kind of enter your life? I grew up, uh, I was born in uh, Framingham, which is about 25 minutes west of the city. And uh, so, I was born in 63, and then in 1967, um, Bob Yor showed up in, in Boston. And hockey was, pr- was always big in, in, in the New England area, but uh, when he showed up, it just boomed. You really couldn't, you know, it's strange too, is most, every town um, had their own rink. And maybe some of, the rink, some of the towns had two rinks. And, and they were totally filled. And, and when Bob Yor showed up, it just exploded. And you couldn't get into any of the programs. And that was, that was one of the toughest things for a lot of people to try to get in. You had to actually know somebody that was on one of the boards or whatever and and kind of, and that's basically how I got in. The, my mom, my mom used to work for the, the president of the organization. Uh, she was a secretary, and um, that, you know, he, she didn't work for him anymore. But she called and said, you know, she wanted to get me in, and and he pulled a couple of strings and got me in. Did you start out as a defenseman because of Bobby, or did you eventually evolve into that position? Well, you know, when you're little and you go, you go to these beginners, and you know, and you're trying out for teams. It's they look all right. All right, we're going to skate up and down the ice. So who's the best skater? You know, and then they figure it out. And who can skate backwards? And I was able to skate backwards right away. So it was like, all right, you're a defenseman. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> my my lot and my my destiny in life was uh, uh, picked for me when I was you know six years old and and uh, skating backwards. What was your game like more towards high school, like that time period? Well, you know, it, kids grow up at different paces, and I was always one of the bigger kids and and one of the. Uh, better skaters um so i i not that it was like real real physical but you were able to play more physical because you were bigger than everybody else and um you know and you kind of develop a reputation at, at, you know you know from eight years old to 12 years old when you you know really big and and everybody starts catching up to you and then then you know then you have to duck a few times because hey remember when you were eight years old you took a run at me well now we're 14 and we're the same same size was there much interest in colleges for you? Were there people knocking at the door, or what kind of led you to head towards Providence? You know, back then you you didn't have a coach that um, uh, if you didn't have a coach that was well connected into the college ranks because there was no social media, and you know you basically had to have a coach, somebody show up in a rink one day and see your play, and then you, and then you get some uh, notoriety. Um, you know, my parents didn't have any, any any money, so it was very hard to you know you get invited to play on these all star teams. You had to travel and 
you know, we couldn't afford any of that kind of stuff. And so you really didn't get noticed too much. And then my, my sophomore year, I, I made the varsity in high school. And then my junior year, uh, they were experimenting on how to, how to use me. And, and basically my whole junior year, I never came off the ice. I, I played every minute of every game. Just, it, it was, they, they called it a quarterback type thing that that was always on the ice. And, um, and then my senior year, um, it, it, they changed back a little bit, but then my junior year, my, I got more note I got noticed a lot more and only because a kid I played with, uh, who's a year older than me, um, him, his, they had, they had you know, obviously more money than we did, uh, but they traveled around and did a lot of different um, uh, all-star games and things like that. And then there was a tournament in Boston called Hockey Night in Boston. So in the late, mid, mid to late 70s, it was basically an all-star weekend for Massachusetts kids. It was North, South, East, West team. And this kid uh, played on it a couple for a couple of years, uh, and he got me involved in it. And then that's I got more notoriety after after that hockey night in Boston camps and things like that that I went to than uh, um, than I did. You know, somebody come to watch me play in my high school team. You mentioned being a quarterback and always being on the ice. Does that kind of like wear you down by the end of the year? I mean, that you're putting in a lot of minutes, and if, especially if you're not quite as used to being on the ice that much. Um, it, it didn't wear you down because I, I actually think it took away from um, my game because I had to conserve energy as I as I went along. Um, I couldn't go all out as as much as you wanted to, and you really had to pick your spots, and you you couldn't rush up the ice all the time like you wanted to, and and you, and you really had to grind defensively. So you just had to uh, you know minimize your your exertion level. And I think it was it was fine. It was actually a lot of fun. We had we had a really good team, and we had um, you know the fans were really good. We we sold out our building. I think our building held like three thirty thirty five hundred people, and um, and we were sold out every game. So it was actually fun being on the ice the whole time. But a funny story is my mom and dad used to watch the games when they went to the games. They wouldn't they wouldn't sit with the other parents. Um, because all the, you know, all the parents would sit there and say, I can't believe he's on the ice the whole time. And, you know, well, my kid should be on the ice, blah, blah, blah. So my mom used to sit up behind everybody you know, like, and stand up the whole time. And my dad would always sit on the opposite side of the rink with the the other team's fans. And so he was sitting over there and they, they'd be ripping on me and my dad would have to sit there and just take it. No big deal. And my mom used to, so yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was good for me, but it was tough on them because they, they really had to endure a lot of, a lot of crap. You finished up a runner up in the NCAA tournament in your senior year. Uh, and that final game you actually went up against adam oates who had a hell of a year that year was it apparent then kind of where he was going in his career and kind of what he was going to amount to adam uh, you know he he didn't really develop i mean he was really good but remember he was so we were um so when he went to he went to rpi so rpi had a lot of guys from canada that were you know a 20 year old freshman you know so they were always two he was always two years older than all of us that we were playing against them and he really developed once he became more into the pros because he was able to freelance a little bit more and 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 use his offensive skills in college. You're you're kind of built into a system, you know. And, and Mike Odessa, who was their coach at RPI, you know, they had they had a ton of kids that were you know 23, 24 years old, and we were all 20s. You know, they were four years older than us. Wow. So yeah, and I but he was good. I mean, don't get me wrong. They had a really good they had a really good team. Yeah, we we lost to him one nothing. Um, uh, in Detroit, I think the, it was in Detroit. And uh, but he once he turned pro, he really developed that as an offensive star. Was it easier to get over that loss, knowing that you were drafted and you had something to focus on? Something to focus on. I mean, your NHL career was just about to start. It was kind of right around the corner. 
Uh, Lou Lamorella was our coach, um, and Lamorella was able to go into Boston and pull guys out. We were a good team, and um, it, it hurt because uh, we were so close. I mean, if we got blown out five nothing, you know, not a big deal. We lose one nothing, it's kind of a kind of kicking the ass. So you mentioned Lou Lamorella was your coach. Um, he he dabbled in the NHL coaching a little bit, at least in the later years that I kind of remember. And he's very stoic, and and he seems like a man of few words. What was he like as a coach? Um, <laughs> well, he was, so he was a guy that he only said what, what he needed to say. Um, uh, very, very emotional and vocal when, you know, he didn't do it the way he wanted it. He was a guy that, um, and he still is a guy that he, he'll sit there and look at you and ask you one question and then just stare at you and intimidate the hell out of you. And then, you know, after like five, 10 minutes, you're like blabbing. Oh my God, I was out drinking last night, you know? And it was, it was like, ah, you know, it's it like was, an interrogation. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was horrible. It was like waterboard. And he just, <laughs> he just, he just stared at you and, he, and it just, it just freaked you out. And, but, but he was, he knew what you were thinking before you, before you thought it. So he would, he would explain something and he, just by the way you look, he'd go, you're thinking this. And he was right, and this is, and he explained it. So he was all detailed. He was everything, and, and he was one of the he was one of the first guys. We did it in college. Uh, that left wing lock, that neutral zone trap thing. We were doing that in college the whole time, and then we brought it. He brought it to the New Jersey Devils, and you know, and they and everybody in the NHL was were pissed off that the Devils were doing that. You know, so well, was it pissing people off in in college back then when you guys were doing it? Was it pissing um, people, uh, opponents off? No, no, not really. Uh, I mean, I, I think in college, I mean, they, you know, they might have, but the players never said anything. I mean, I'm sure the other coaches were pissed off that we were like, you know, trapping them in the neutral zone, and you know, and uh, you know, as soon as it was a turnover, the left guy took off to the left wing and locked, so the defenseman can step up in the middle, and uh, you know, it just, it was just really cool. It, it was, it was a state of the art. Then you get to the NHL, and everybody thought, well, it's, it's stifling the game, and you know, it's, it's a boring game now, and blah blah blah. But you know what? He used it, and, and the Devils won a couple cups because of it and you know and because of him and you know and, and he, now these he's with the, the islanders i tell everybody i say within the next three years the islanders are going to be in the stanley cup finals can you take me back to getting drafted things were a lot different uh, how did you find out and did you have a little bit of a celebration after you found out back then it was not like it now all the media hype or you know and so I, basically i was at work i mean I, I worked for a landscaper and um i didn't think much of it and, and if i got drafted great if i didn't no big deal and I was at work and the boss drove up and he said, Hey, you got to, you know, you got to make a, you got to call your mom. You know, she just, she just called the office and needs to talk to you. And so I went down, I had a dime in my pocket for the, for the, for the payphone. And I went down the street and I uh, called and he says, Yeah, you know, they, they, they get drafted by the Winnipeg Jets and um, they want to call, they want to talk to you, you know, around six o'clock tonight, you know, when your time you're getting home. And I said, well, I guess I'll, I'll be home before six. And I mean, I just, I walked in the door. I was, you know, filthy from, you know, doing all the landscaping stuff. And, you know, the phone rang. It was John Ferguson. And um, he was like, hey, you know, hey, Pete, you know, we're, we're great. You know, we're very happy to, you know, to draft you. And, you know, we can't wait to blah, 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 blah. And, so that, and that was the end of it. That that was the end of the conversation. Um, and then I finished my two two more years at Providence, and uh, um, you know, and, and then my last, very last. Uh, set, well, we were going into the playoffs, and John Ferguson, the Winnipeg Jets, were playing in Boston, uh, and he came into uh, Providence to um, to see me play. And after the game, he you know he comes down to the locker room and says, "Hey, as soon as the season's over, we're going to turn you pro." And I said, "Okay, that's all right. I had no expectations." 
What did you know about Winnipeg, about the franchise when you were drafted, and and what was your first impression when you got there? Well, I I had no idea. Um, couldn't even, couldn't even find it on the map. Um, knew, didn't know anything about Canada. Uh, but I mean, I I I've t- I've, before I got up there, I talked to a few people. A couple of guys I played college hockey with were from Canada, not from the Western Canada, but you know Ontario and, and Quebec and stuff. And you know they would tell me a little bit some little bits about it. But when I got there, I loved it. I, it, it is a great city. Um, people have. Um, you know, they see the temperature, you know, when it's minus 40 degrees and they're like, oh my God, I can't be, but everything's indoors. All the buildings are connected. Everything's indoors. It's basically two seasons. It's winter and summer because you can play golf. You'd be playing golf and it's 75, 80 degrees out. And, and two days later, you get, you know, five feet of snow. <laughs> and then in the springtime, you know, it's everything just melts away real fast. And, um, but I, I will tell you that if you're an outdoors person and, and you like um, lakes and, and water skiing and, and, and fishing, and uh, it, it's probably the prettiest place you're ever going to go. It really is. And, and I love, I love playing there. I never wanted to leave. I didn't want to leave. Uh, and, and thankfully I got traded uh, uh, into the States, but is a town like that with with one team does that make it a little more ravenous well it's it's ravenous because it's hockey and and it actually uh, makes it um better for a player because you can't bullshit anybody you know you if you play like crap they all know about it you know they they, and the media is not going to sugarcoat it because they lose their credibility and it's not going to get buried on page nine or ten. Exactly, and it and so you you have to perform every single night, or I mean they're, they're going to let you know about it, and um and, and they're very forgiving. If you put out an effort, they they understand, you know, and it's you know stuff happens, you might lose a game pretty bad, and but that's not the end all, and they they get that, and uh, but they're very knowledgeable, and it, and it puts it puts pressure in the right way on players to perform. You you can't slack off because they'll they'll call you out. You got drafted just a few years out of one of the most famous Jets, uh, Dale Howard Chuck. Yeah. What What was it like, um, kind of, as you, as you come in and he's there? What What was he like, and what was your experience with him? So it was it was funny how I how I met everybody was um, after my after we we uh, lost RPI we go back to Providence and about a four or five days goes by and and Lou Lamorello uh, calls me. And because he was going to negotiate my contract for me, he calls me, says, hey, you know, we, we got a deal done, uh, you know, tomorrow I'm going to tomorrow afternoon, I'm gonna, uh, I'll drive you into Boston, you know, we'll get a hotel, you get a hotel room and we'll get you to the airport and, and get you out to uh, Winnipeg. And um, but the Winnipeg Jets at the time, they, they had two games left in the regular season and then they had a, um, a, a week off. They had uh, five days off before their last two games. And then after the last two games, they had four days before the playoffs started. So I had to go meet the team in Banff Springs, Alberta, because they were playing the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers for the la- in the last two games of the regular season. So we're up. So I, I get I fly into Calgary. They, they drive me up to Banff. Uh, the guy picks, uh, one of the trainers picks me up. I get to Banff. And I walk in, you know, I go to my room and nobody's around. And I'm, I'm rooming with a, a guy named Randy Carlisle, you know, Norris Trophy. And, and um, it, it turns it turned out he was turned out one to be one of my very best friends. And um, I made the mistake of we were talking. He was asking me about stuff, and I said, you know, I was like, dude, I gotta I gotta tell you, I had a picture of you up my my a poster of you up in my my dorm room when he won the Norris Trophy. You know, he had a he had a picture of when he won the Norris Trophy. And so, anyways, that's how I met him, and he never let me live it down that I actually told him I had a picture of him in my room. <laughs> so it was horrible. Uh, so the next day, I get to meet everybody else, and um, and Dale was a very very unassuming, quiet, um, 
funny but but a very dry funny guy um and until he got to know you he really didn't open up or anything like that but uh uh one of the nicest guys ever i've ever met and it's it's so sad to see um um, him passing you know a a few months ago Mm because it um the the hockey world lost one of the one of the good guys was he a little underappreciated just from a national standpoint just because of the market he was in yeah Here's how good Dale Horacek was. In that Canada Cup series, when Lemieux scored that winning goal, who was on the ice? <laughs> Lemieux, Gretzky, and Horacek. You, you, you know, so it was like, yeah, he's, he's that good that, that he deserved to be out there. Yeah, so. yeah. Focusing back on you, uh, you had 226 penalty minutes in the 88-89 campaign. Was that important to you to be an enforcer, um, and, and, or did you aim to just kind of stand up for your teammates and just help with momentum? I, I look at it this way. No matter where you go, what you do, no matter what job you're in, you have to find uh, your niche, uh, you know, what you, what you can do to stand out and, and be part of something. You know, any, everybody can, you know, you know, type on a keyboard. Everybody can, you know, all the accountants do the same thing, you know. I, and I told my kids all through, you know, when they were playing a sport, you can play any sport you want to play, but figure out where you can, where you can fit in and do the best. So when I went to, um, when I turned pro, so I played college hockey and played against college hockey that were way better hockey players than I were, way better. And, I, and I'll freely admit it. But the, every one of, a lot of them always thought they just have to keep doing the same thing they've always done. Well, yeah, when you're in college, you're one of, uh, you know, or you're, the, you're the bet, one of the top three or four guys in your college team. Well, then you, you turn pro. Well, you're one of 30 best guys on their other teams you know what i mean so you have to find something that keeps you going up that next ladder um so i play with guys that were can't miss that that is like definitely going to play definitely going to play definitely gonna play never got a shot because they never never found a way to get in so my very first shift in the nhl we're in calgary i'm playing left defense maybe about two and a half minutes into the game so now, you know, everybody's a little more protective of, um, you know, end of the season. Nobody wants to get hurt or anything like that. Well, um, there was a guy on their team, one of their big stars named Hocken Lube. I don't know if you ever, remember that name, no. Hocken Lube. I was a Swedish, little Swedish dude that, that could fly around the ice. And um, so the Calgary's, uh, the, state, the, the, benches are, the benches are all on one side. And he's coming down in front of their bench. And he's coming down on me. And he just gets over the blue line. And he stops because he's like, going to make a pass. And the referee blows a whistle for an offside. And I go up and hit him anyway. And I, I mean, I hit him. I, I knocked him ass over tea kettle. <laughs> and so we're, the boards, the, 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 the benches are all like right down here. And I hit him. And next thing you know, their whole bench flies out. It was a bench clearing brawl. I started my very first shift in the NHL. I was like, ah, you know, Christ. Welcome to the league. Yeah. It was like, so it wasn't nothing, you know, I just hit him. You know, I didn't think anything of it. I wasn't trying to, you know, do anything stupid. And, um, so later on the game, I, I took a run at somebody else, you know, a guy cut across the middle. I just came across to put my shoulder into him and he caught me, he saw me at the last minute and he got out of the way, but he still went down. Um, he jumped me from behind and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So after the game, John Ferguson, who, you know, who's one of the more scarier guys you ever met in your life, you know, he goes flying in the locker room and he's snorting. Oh my God, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I, you know, that's what I want out of my team, you know, but, it, but what it did was it put my name in his head that I was willing to, I was willing to do something. I was willing to be physical. I was willing to do that kind of stuff. Um, not that I was going out there to fight or anything like that, but I was just trying to be physical, but that's what he wanted. 
Um, and, and so it, it got me in, in, into a psyche that, that he knew that I could just, you know, get in there and, 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 and play and, and do stuff. Well, you're then traded to Minnesota and basically after a cup of coffee, um, with the North stars, you're, you're traded again to Pittsburgh. What's it like three teams in, in two years? I mean, is, is that tough? Well, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough on the family. It's not tough. It wasn't tough on me because I basically just had to go and show up and play. Bobby Clark was the uh, general manager of the North Stars at the time. And he said, all right, you know, uh, try to get down here in three days, you know, you know, whatever it was. And I said, okay. And so I get down here for the last, um, actually, I, so the training camp's over um, and they're gearing up for the very first regular season game. And so I get down there and, you know, I have to go stay in a hotel and, you know, big deal. And, and back then, I, I don't know if you remember the Minnesota North Stars at that time, they were getting like 3,000 people a game. It was horrible. I mean, it was horrible. And uh, Bobby Clark was the um, uh, general manager, and and he was miserable to deal with. I mean, he was just you know could care less about anybody's feelings or emotions or yeah. not that I not that it, not that it, I, but it was just very hard. You know, when you go to the rink, you want to go and, and you know have fun and, and and do that stuff. But the the way they had it set up with Bob Ganey was the coach, and they had a guy named Doug Jarvis and Andy Murray who were the assistant coaches. You couldn't laugh in practice. You couldn't joke around. You, I mean, it made him miserable. You got up and go, oh, like I don't, I don't want to go to the rink because it's you know it's horrible. So, anyways, and, and it was just it was just like sputtering along, and it was, and then every every night it was a fight filled game because they're you know playing against the Blues and the Blackhawks, and you know, and it was just a, it was just a bloodbath the whole time, and. You know, but we were only playing in front of 4,000 people at home, you know, and and the new owner decided, you know, we're going to do all these uh, money giveaways. So they would have these, you know, giving away big screen TVs and they were, you know, giving away, do- you know, whatever, just drive people to get into the game. It's almost like a minor league team at that point, you know? It, it was, yeah. It was something out of Slapshot, you know, like the, you know, bring the kids down, you know, it's fun for everybody, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, uh, so. Uh, so then, uh, yeah, so then I was only there for, you know, uh, two months tops and, um, you know, so <laughs> this, this is how, this is how, uh, how they operated. So we're playing, we're playing, we go down to the morning skate, we go, I'm home and, um, you know, getting ready to sit down, eat a pregame meal, you know, and the phone rings and it's Bobby Clark. And he goes, uh, yeah, Pete, uh, we had just traded you. Craig Patrick's is going to call you in five minutes. Bye. And that was, that was his whole conversation. And I was like, what, what the hell, what he just, he didn't, no explanation and not that, he, but he, nothing that was like, it was like the whole thing was like five, ten, ten words long. And then Craig Patrick called who I already, who I knew before. And he goes, Hey Pete, oh my God, great. Hey, nice talking to you. Well, Hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he, we went on for, we had like a 20 minute conversation. He goes, yeah, but you got to go pack you, Larry Murphy and, and you were going to, uh, going to go to the airport. You have to play tonight. So we have to get on. The, so this was like noon. Also, I and, picture is the Wiley Coyote. Like when he runs and there's just like that poof of air behind yeah, him. Poof, like you yeah. couldn't have been out of the door fast enough. Oh yeah. Was like, was, <laughs> I, I just grabbed duffel bags. And I threw all my suits and clothes in and, and, and we were, I was gone. And uh, yeah, we get to the rink and, you know, we get to Pittsburgh and the assistant coach picks us up. We had, they gave us a, uh, had a police escort to the rink and, and I walk in and Bob Johnson, who the coach, and he, he, he goes, Hey, Pete, yeah, yeah. Hey, good meeting you. Hey, can you, can you play on the right side with Paul Coffey? I said, yeah. And he goes, okay. And that was it. That was the whole conversation. <laughs> you know, and so we, so we get in the locker room and yeah. And then it was, and I walked in the locker room and it was, uh, so there was two guys I played with in Winnipeg there. There was five guys that I played college hockey against in Boston who I knew anyway, you know, so I walked in there. Then it was, you know, like Tom Brasso, the goalie. I mean, I grew up with him. He's two towns over from me. It's, he's two years younger, but I mean, I played in a bunch of all-star games. With him. 
And he walked in, and it was like old home week. It, it was perfect. It, it was like they all, everybody was joking around, having fun, and uh, you know. And then it didn't hurt that we had we had some a pretty talented team to to back it all up. But growing up with Tom Barrasso, were you guys on the same trajectory? Like, did you see that like he was at the playing at the same kind of level you were to where hey, we might eventually down the road compete against each other on the highest stage? Yeah. So Tom. So Tom was. Um, you knew he was going to be a good, great goalie when he was, you know, 13 years old. I mean, he was a big kid, uh, no nonsense. Um, you know, he got a bad rap, uh, you know, some of the teams he played on because, you know, a reporter would ask him a question and he'd point blank say, that, that's the dumbest freaking question I've ever heard in my life and just walk away. But he did that in, he did that in high school. You know, if somebody asked him a question, he was like, that's the dumbest thing I ever, and he walked away. You know, so it wasn't like he just, he, he was, you know, trying to be, but that's, I'm not wasting my time on stupid stuff like that. So, uh, but Tommy was a, Tommy was a great goalie. And, and you know, at 18 years old, he, he was the first goalie to, to start at 18, you know, that, yeah, but he knew he was good. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun playing with him because, you know, they, they dumped the puck in, he grabbed it and fire it back out. You know, so it was like, he didn't have to, didn't have to do a lot, you know, so, which is really good. When you mentioned getting kind of ready to leave Minnesota and and excited to join Pittsburgh, did Larry Murphy share that same vibe with you? Because A, that was a blockbuster trade. That was a big trade. And was he as excited to kind of get out of the door and get a new start? Yeah, because it, it, people have no idea how good this guy was. And when he's in, in on Minnesota, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't want any of that... Uh, offensive flair making things up as you go type thing and and larry just fit in with you know mario and and paul coffee and then ronnie francis came and they just you know those guys that are, uh, those upper level guys you know and mario's way above that um the, those they, they all they're all in sync they all got it and, and murph was one of those guys they just fit in perfectly with the, with our talented with the guys we had on the team and talent wise and and i think people really started notice him, noticing him more and more once he came to Pittsburgh. What challenges do you face when you join a team through, through the season, when you're not there for training camp and, and you come in? Is it hard to adapt? Um, you know, it's, hockey-wise, it's not hard to adapt because, you know, face it, uh, you know, sports isn't rocket science. You know, it's, it really isn't. It, you know, you have a game plan. Or, you know, the game plan is keep the puck out of our net. You know, that's basically the game plan to put it in their net. You know, you just, you know, and you learn from a young age, you know, angles and, you know, being, you know, between you and the uh, the other person, between the net and, and you and you do all these things and, and everything you prepared for your whole life, you know, all the lessons you learned and all the mistakes you made playing, you know, it, it really does kick in sometimes to say, you know, I remember doing something like this before and, you know, I got to readjust and or I played against a guy who's similar to that guy over there and, and he likes to, you know, you know, come down and fake a shot and go wide and, you know, so you always be prepared. You know, so hockey wise, it wasn't a big deal. Personality wise, when you walk in a locker room, you have, so you show up on a team and you're taking somebody's spot. That's the first thing. Uh, you have guys, you have some guys that, you know, that, that take offense to it or take it personally. And it's nothing to do with me. I didn't make the trade. They, you know, whatever. And, um, and you really just have to, um, you know, walk on eggshells for a little bit to see how the personalities are going to work. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would, I'd be the same way if, you know, somebody, traded for somebody who was going to take my spot i might have some don't wish him bad but you know wish bad things on him but you you kind of hope oh hope they you know gets burned on one-on-one or something and you kind of um you know get back in the lineup but um yeah you know it was more personality than anything when you get traded 
did it ease you in a little bit to know you were playing alongside Paul Coffey, like right from the get go? I mean, he was a guy, even at that point, that you could tell that the Hall of Fame was probably likely coming his way. Did that oh, help yeah. ease you into it a little bit? Well, yes and no. Yes, it did because you know it was because it was fun playing with him, so it eased you a lot. The bad part of it was, well, if he's going to go up the ice all the time, <laughs> you know, and, and and if he gets caught, they're all coming back on me, two on one, three on one, and you know, and got to kind of you know figure that stuff out. So it, it took a lot of pressure off, but it actually added pressure. Now I have to be a little more defensive orientated, and um, you know, many times he would, you know, we'd be beating a team five one in the third period, and he'd be like, "Hey, Pete, jump up the ice, come on, we'll get you a goal and stuff," you know, whatever it is. I think, no, I'm good. This is this is my job. This is my realm back here. You do your stuff, and I'll keep. Because I, I got a bonus for having plus minus, you know. So I keep the puck out of the net, then you know, <laughs> then I can make more money. Playing with an offensive minded defenseman is that is that definitely more challenging than playing with more stay at home kind of guy? Uh, yeah, because you you sometimes you never know where he is, you know, and you know, so he could. So I play the right side with him. You know, and I, I got a guy, you know, I'm tying up a, a guy on the boards and on my side of the ice, I, you know, and, and I, I kind of look and he's like two feet behind me. I'm like, well, I mean, you're supposed to be in front of the net, you know, and those type of things. But he's looking for that loose puck to take off up the ice. And that's how, you know, that's how those guys think and react. And, um, you know, and, and nine out of 10 times, like the puck would pop out and the way they go. And, you know, and then him and Mario would be on the same page and Mario, you know, be, you know, doing what he does. And all of a sudden he takes off and cough makes this unbelievable pass up the middle. So. It works out, but it, it's, it's, it's nerve-wracking sometimes. Well, let's talk about Mario for a minute. Uh, he missed four months that year. Uh, was he healthy when you got there, or was he sidelined? Um, he was sidelined. So he had a bad back that year, and so he didn't play a, he didn't play a lot. You know, they were doing, you know, he'd, he'd play a, you know, one or two games and sit out two or three games, and then he missed like three or four months. And so when you see Mario, Mario was hurt, but, but Mario, when he did play, you can, you know, he was only playing like half speed and really, and he was still better than, than, than everybody else. It was ridiculous. And then once we made that trade for Ronnie and Ulf and Grant Jennings, the, the whole team really started to gel. I mean, really started to go. Mario got healthy. And, and next thing you know, it's, you know, you know, Mario was, um, uh, oh, geez, I, I, I don't even know how many points he got that year. He probably had like 80 or 80, 80, 80 something points and he missed like 30 games or something, you know, something ridiculous, you know. And, um, when he's, when he's out, what's he like from, from a leadership standpoint, as far as a locker room presence, is he around? Is he kind of, he was always around. Yeah. One of the things that, that I've, it was really amazing how our team there, and even in Winnipeg, like the Dale Harachek's of the world weren't real vocal in the locker rooms, like rah, rah guys, you know, come on, let's, you know, and you know, new Rockney speeches and all that kind of stuff. And then you get to, you know. You get to uh, Pittsburgh, and you know guys like Mario was were not vocal like that. You know for, they're always in the locker room. Joey Mullen, I don't know if you remember Joe Mullen. Joe Mullen, one of the greatest U.S. Uh, hockey players, not a vocal guy. Ronnie Francis was kind of a little more vocal, but not then. So, but the guys who were vocal were like myself, Kevin Stevens. Brian Trottier was were really vocal, you know, just hyping it, you know, yelling in the locker room and stuff like that. But those leaders never really did anything, said anything. But when they did say something, you were like, like EF Hutton, like what, what the, <laughs> and you listened, but those guys did it on the ice. You know, they, they led Mario led, you know, by example, Joey Mullen led by example. And when Mario was on his game, he was 10 times better than everybody else. And he just dragged everybody up to that next level with him. And, um, you know, and that's how he, that's how, that's how he brought the team together by, by his actions. You guys wiped a 
10 point uh, division lead by the Rangers out. And it, it all kind of climaxed in March when there was essentially a home and home. You played them twice in the span of about a week. That was a pretty big playoff atmosphere type of game. How important were those two games? So you're leading up into the playoffs and you're playing the New York Rangers at home. And it, it is, is electric atmosphere because we're starting to roll and, and, and the hype in Pittsburgh is really starting to jump. I remember after that game, Kevin Stevens took a shot, just dumping it, dumping it into the corner and from the neutral zone in. It bounces off. John Van Beesburg goes out to play it, and it go and, and it and it bounced funny. It hit him and went in the net. It was it was a, it's just a fluky thing to happen. And we ended up winning the game. And so I'm in the locker room, and one of the reporters, Dave, I remember this. Dave Molinari comes in. And he goes, "This doesn't happen to the Pittsburgh Penguins." The goals like that do not, it doesn't happen. You know, this, and he was like, he was all hyped. And you could just see that the excitement in him that this was starting to go. So then we have to go play him. We have to play the Rangers in, um, in, in New York. And it was right, it was right at the end of the season. And we had a bunch of guys. And so we, we were already, you know, in the playoffs and whatnot. And so we're playing. And we have to, used to do this thing. We used to call it uh, the fine fun, you know. And if somebody did something stupid like uh, a, um, you know, a legal stick or something like that. You find them a hundred dollars and put it into the kitty, you know, no big deal. Or, you know, if I'm from Boston and, you know, they would say, hey, you know, Hey, these guys didn't want you. They, you know, they crapped all over you, you know, you know, one of those type things. All right. I got a hundred dollars. If we win, I'll put the hundred dollars in, you know, so we did all those things. So towards the end of the year, we had, um, <laughs> so we had like, like 40 something thousand dollars in this <laughs> account. And basically it was just to go out at the end of the year and have a party. And that's all, that's all it was. And, um, so we go to New York and Joey Mullins from New York and he puts, you put like $500 up to, you know, if we win, he puts $500 in and, uh, we had a bunch of little things going. And then there was a kid named Randy Gillen who, um, who had 14 goals. He was our fourth line center face, uh, 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 part, uh penalty killing face off guy. He had a bonus at 15 goals. Uh, Phil Bork had a bonus at 20 goals. And, and so they kept them. So every power play we had, those two guys were on the ice. The whole two minutes on these power plays, we had like six or seven that, you know, and they were on the ace the whole time. And they ended up scoring goals. They ended up, and they hit their bonuses, you know, that type of thing. So they all put money in. And, and then, <laughs> so we're in the locker room in between periods, and I forgot who said it, but our goalies that night were Frank Peterangelo and, and Wendell Young. So they put a, I, I think Paul Coffey put $1,000 up if in the middle of the game they would switch goalies during the middle of the play with no whistle the puck went down to the rangers end the puck went down to the rangers end and nobody really noticed what was happening so all the referees were down there wendell young hops over the bench he skates frankie peter is flying off the ice he hops back into the bench and so they and so like there's no record of wendell young being in that game that day but he was in there for like a minute and a half <laughs> you know and so and even the whistle blew no big deal the play started up again, and the pay, the play went down to the Rangers end, and they switched again. So Frankie Frankie played the whole game without you know no interruptions, you know basically, and but so it was another thousand. So that so that, but that's the kind of fun we were having. But that's the kind of team we had that we were on a roll and we knew we were good and whatever, and and we were just we, we were able to do you know, goofy stuff like that to have fun. But sometimes that helps loosen everything up. It, if you're having fun like that, it makes like obviously winning is fun, but but having fun and then the winning comes with it. It it does. It really does. You know, if you win, 
you can have fun. And, and, and if you can maintain that fun and keep winning, I, I, there's not a coach in the world would, would uh, tell you you're wrong. You guys played um, at the Civic Center in Pittsburgh. That that was kind of a weird building. It was is ahead of its time when it came out. I mean, when it was built, at, and that was about thirty years prior to when you guys were there. What what was it like playing there? I mean, it had its pros and its cons. I, I visited there kind of at the end of its run, but it, it was a it was a gray rink. It was a big ice surface, you know, the big wide corners. Um, you know, you get to some of the, like the. You know some of the 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 old buildings at the time, like the the old Spectrum. They, you know, tiny building, tiny corners. Uh, you know, and they built their team around guys who were just gonna you know run you the whole time. And you know, all of a sudden you get to to our rink, and they have to be a little. They have to be careful. They can't you know venture off. Defensemen can't go into the corners too much. The atmosphere was great. It was really really loud. I mean, it was never built to be a hockey rink. It was built to be a an opera for an, for the opera. It opened the open the ceiling, and you can you know play out when the you know in, under the stars. But it was a great building. Uh, I mean, no perks. There was, there was, it was state of the art, like you said, in the seventies, you know, sixties, seventies when it was built. Um, but there was no perks to it. It, it was kind of a, a dumpy locker room, and uh, it was fixed up nice. We, I mean, it was what it was. I mean, it's not like you know today everybody has you know everybody all these athletes getting pampered with all these really cool locker rooms. But yeah, it was a nice locker room, and you know the people and uh, you know that worked there were great. I sat second or third row there, and it was Mario's last season because I, I wanted to go. We made the trip out, and the sound in that building was so weird because it got loud, but then it almost felt like it was hovering over your head. Like it, the sound went up, and then it just felt like it sat at the top of the dome and just kind of like got louder and louder. It was it was so bizarre. The way they built it, from what I, what I understand, when they built it for the opera or, and, and the symphony and stuff, uh, they built it just you know the metal roof or whatever it is for the, the know, reverberation coming back down. And, um, and, you know, I guess they had engineers and scientists and, you know, all these other people trying to figure it out what would be the best way to do it. And I, I don't think they ever thought it was going to be, you know, 18,000, you know, you know, hockey fans that they were to get the notoriety from, but it, it worked. Well, you mentioned the roof opening, and a lot of people forget that that was retractable because it hadn't been done in quite some time. In fact, the only way I reason I really know it's retractable is from the movie uh, Sudden Death with John Claude Van Damme. <laughs> I was in that movie. Uh, were you? <laughs> yeah. You can see they actually say my name on the movie it, it, during the filming of it, and they see me skating by, and they use clips from some of the games and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't think you're credited because I had done some research to see if I, I couldn't find any sign of you being in that film. Well, uh, yeah. So the, if you watch it, they um, you'll see me. You'll you'll see my skating and hitting somebody against the boards, and then uh, you hear the announcers say my name. Um, but what happened was, since we didn't have speaking parts, you didn't have to uh, sign a contract to because like even right now, Jay Caulfield was our tough guy, um, and he was the goalie. You know, the goalie that uh, Van Dam beat up to. Okay, yep. So. Um, so he, so he get he gets residuals now. Every time it's played, he get he gets a check in the mail. You know, other thing. But what they did with us, they all the guys that the whole team, they paid us like five thousand dollars, I think it was, to uh, uh, to do it without having any of that residual money coming in and stuff like that. So none of our none of us got credited for it. Uh, he was Jay was the only one that that uh, that did. Did they use some amateurs for that film as well? No, we used, uh, they brought our, our minor league team was in, um, uh, Cleveland. They're like the lumberjacks or something. Yeah. So they brought them in. Uh, and so we had like a, a mock scrimmage against them and that, that's how that, that all took place. But, uh, but everybody in the stands, all cardboard people. Next time we watch it, look, it's all every, every, every person you see in the stands is cardboard. 
Actually, I enjoy that movie. It's it's awesome. I call it awesomely bad, but that that just means it's so bad it's good, you know. Yeah. So it was. It, I'll tell you a funny story. So he comes in. Howard Baldwin was like the owner of the team, and <laughs> so we're at, we're in, after practice. We're in the locker room, you know, in the training room. Uh, sorry, in the w- uh, weight room, and we're riding bikes and doing our stuff, you know, blah blah blah. And, and he comes walking through with Van Dam, and so he's like, "Hey, you know, hey guys, this is uh, this is uh, John Claude Van Dam. You know, you, you, we're going to film a movie, blah blah blah." And everybody's like, "Yeah, hey, how you doing? You know, whatever, no big deal." And, we, and that was the end of it. And so he got, I guess, he stormed out of the place that nobody fawned over him. You know, that he really? was, all, oh yeah, he was all jacked off. That we're like, we didn't go, oh hey, can we have your autograph or anything? You know, it was like, you know, get the f out of here. Who cares? <laughs> you know. So that, and so actually, Howard Baldwin came in and actually he said, you know, he, you gotta, you gotta, you know, interact with him. You gotta make sure he's, you know, you know happy you know and i was like screw you you know who cares but yeah that was that was funny i'm gonna swing back to to the roof since we kind of uh sidebarred there but uh were there any whisperings of it opening while you were there because i know they had like a roller they had a roller hockey game in like 94 and i think it was open for that were there any ever whisperings of like hey because i think the scoreboard in 95 is what kind of did it in they put a new scoreboard in and they couldn't open the roof at that point um no yeah you you could open the roof uh, but they it cost a lot of money to open it and that was the problem and and since it was closed for so long during hockey season you couldn't open it up because what happens is once you open it up all that dust and rust comes flying down and you and it, it would take them weeks to clean it and if it gets in the ice you know and all that kind of stuff so they they couldn't take a chance doing it once the season was over they opened up a lot for like monster truck monster truck stuff um they had motocross in there they you know they had the roller hockey like you said uh they had a lacrosse team that played that they opened it up uh they had concerts that they would open it up but obviously the ice was not in there and then once they opened it up it like they opened it up then they had to shut it. Then they had to open it back up again just to get the, that rust and everything out of it. You know, so then when they did open it up for the event, nobody got sprayed with all that all that soot and and, and crap. But yeah, yeah. It, but it was it's actually kind of cool watching it. But it it takes like it's like forty five minutes for this for the roof to open up. You can just starts moving just a very slow, and it goes around, and, and everybody like the game's going on or something. Everybody's like not even watching a game; they're you know watching the roof open, you know. So that's pretty impressive because there's nothing like that, you know. Like no. there's there's no building like that now that kind of converts, if you will. No, and that was one of the problems that they faced when they were when they built the new arena that they wanted to demolish the old Civic Arena. Um, you know, for parking and, and all that kind of stuff. And, the, you know, all of the historic people from around the country are going, no, this is, uh, it, it was, it was very, very hard for them to get the permits to, uh, to demolish it because it, it was like a, you know, you know, as far as engineering is concerned, one of the, one of the cool things in the country. And, um, and it took a while for them to get the permission to do it. And they finally did, but yeah, it was, uh, it was sad to see it go, but I mean, you know, land's more important than an old building. Absolutely. With a relatively young team, um, what were your playoff expectations? Um, I mean, obviously you want to win the cup, but what realistic expectations did you have as the, the playoffs were approaching? Well, so when I was, when I was with the Jets, um, you know, we made the playoffs. We didn't make the playoffs. We, you know, we get by Calgary, run into Edmonton, you know, and, you know, and they, you play Edmonton, you, you beat Edmonton, you run into Calgary, and then, and then, heyday, you know, that's as far as you went. You know, you it's maybe a went. Saw. Yeah, yeah, it's like you basically went to, you know, the first two rounds and you're out anyway. Um, so you really didn't know a lot 
after the fact what's going to happen after the second round and you know and if you watched us play i think we little we overhyped ourselves you know we thought of we thought too much of ourselves at the beginning because every game of this every series we played we lost the first game and you know don't know why and then you know we we kicked it into gear and did it but it was all new experience for us i mean the 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 amount of attention we were getting because of the team we had and um the the, the way we're winning and, the, and 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 playing some of these teams and and we had a tough road but you know it was it was a grind but 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 every time you know you had to rely on guys who've been there before you know the the Brian Trotches of the world who who won cups before and uh, Joe Mullen won a cup in in Calgary and uh, Paul Coffey won him in Edmonton and and so and, and Yuri Herdine we had a guy named Yuri Herdine who won in Calgary um, so you had to rely on the, those guys to. Um, to tell us how to how, how things were going to work and and how things are going to happen, um, and I think once we calm we calmed ourselves down to you know this is a, this is this is not a sprint it's it's going to be a long long grind and remember back then you played every other night I mean that so now it's a little different that you know they have three four days off in between you played every other night and and you had to be ready to play you know nobody you know. If you were injured, you you didn't tell anybody. You just you know put your stuff on and went out and played. And um, it was it was a real grind. And and you needed those that leadership of those guys to you know calm you down and say, hey, listen, no, don't worry about it. You know, we lost the game, no big deal. Let's go. You know, we still got you know there's six more games. And um, and, you know, it sounds cliche, but you know, you really have to hear from somebody who's been there before. I mean, anybody can spew that kind of you know that stuff. But the one person, the people who did it before, you know, they they calmed you down. But you had no expectations. You didn't know what was going on. Everything was new to us. So it was like you know, one game. It was basically one day at a time, and we just walked you know just walked through it. That team had a pretty nice balance of leadership and some some young players. I mean, notably Yarmir Yager. Um, stories get floated around of just how insane his work ethic is. I mean, you hear he had the keys to the rink and and he'd go on the ice after games, after wins or losses. Was was he that intense back then as as a, a no, late teenager? No, no, no. When he was eighteen, he. He he didn't do any of that kind of stuff, but he would stay on the ice for you know if we had a forty five minute practice he'd be on there for an hour and a half he would do that and back then nobody really worked out we rode the bike to get the lactic to acid out of our system and stuff like that and, and basically he did that but he, nobody really lifted weights or or you did all your lifting in the um, you know in the off season and you maintained during the the year but work ethic wise is on the ice he it was absolutely amazing what he could do when he when he was in full flight. His attitude was he could, you know, could care less if he got knocked down. He, he was just going to come back after, you know, back at somebody and try to do the same move and beat him again. And and you can really see, you know, I mean, you can see it then. He, he was he was our the second best player on our team, even as an eighteen year old. He was a true gamer, and he kind of opened the floodgate for European talent. I mean, other guys had come before him, there's no doubt, but he kind of set the bar of all of a sudden, you start seeing these real high-class, talented European players making the jump. I mean, could you tell back then what he was capable of and what he was going to go on to do? Well, never, never expected him to play for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you know he, he's still playing now, I think. Some, he's over in Russia yeah, or Czech, whatever, so... You you knew he was going to do it. You, you knew right away he was going to be a superstar. You know, never thought he was going to be thirty five years of it, but yeah, he, <laughs> that's what he is. Let's jump into the playoffs. Uh, the first series against uh, New Jersey. Uh, what's the team's morale when their backs are up against the wall? You're heading into an elimination game, and Tom Barrasso's out. Well, you know, it's 
and you, you I've I've said this to everybody. The first round of any any playoffs year is, is the hardest. I mean, you, you just everybody's you know at, at full 110 percent, and everybody's going at 100 miles an hour. So we knew it was going to be a grind, and, and Jersey was always a grind because they play that little trap style, and you know they really just had to you know try to stifle us, and they did it. And uh, you know Marty Brodeur at that time wasn't the wasn't the Hall of Fame goaltender at that time that he he came became after the fact. He was he was a good goalie, but he wasn't the the, the guy that uh, everybody knows who he, you know later on about you know seven years later or so. And so it was it was. It was it was pressure. It was it was pressure on us, but it was pressure on Mario. It was pressure on the Paul Coffees of the world. Uh, it was pressure on uh, you know the Ronnie Francis of the world. And uh, but for us, it was pressure, but it wasn't like that because they they were the the, the names of the team and the faces of the team, and and they had to perform. And and uh, Frankie Peter Angela made the save that uh, uh, you know propelled us to win that you know that 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 game. Uh, it was a we were killing a penalty and. Um, puck came flying out to Peter Stastny and Stastny, you know, and Frankie just threw his glove out and, and stopped it. And, uh, you know, and that was the, that was the, the key, but that was, that was game six and game seven was back in Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, we, we beat them then. And, and, but, it, but you need little, little things in, in the playoffs in games and stuff like that, that, that stem the, that turn the tide and, and, and put you over the top. And, uh, you know, whether it's fluky, whether it's, um, uh, you know, it was, you know, picture perfect passing or whatever it is, or a fluky play or, you know, the puck bounce off one of those stanchions on the glass and goes in the net. You just need one thing to, to propel you. And that was it. I mean, that game. And then I think we beat them. I think we beat them like five, two or something like that in, in this, in game seven, uh, that, that, that took us to the next round. So yeah, you know, it was, it was, there was pressure on us, but it, those guys, the Mario's of the world was the, we, we had pressure. They, they had it all on the shoulders. Peter Angelo played uh, a few games throughout that postseason. How important is it to have a reliable goaltender that you can count on to kind of jump in here and there and, and help win you a game? Well, you, you need him, and, and I tell you what uh, the 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 only the only difference was between Frankie and Tommy. Frank, Frank, Tommy was a stand up goalie, you know, made these kick saves and you know it did all these things. But Tommy played the puck really well. They shoot it in, Tommy would get it, stop it, set it up for you, or he fire it back out of the zone. Frankie never Frankie wasn't like that. You know, Frankie goes to go behind that and stop it and you know and, and he it might be against the boards, it might be in a good place or whatever it is, but that was not his job. His job was just to stop the puck and we got that. So we had to adjust we knew that we have to go back and you know and do a little bit more than we we normally did. Um, but we had we had all the confidence in the world in Frankie because he he played all year long and um, he was not a real flashy goaltender, but but he he made stops, and that, that's what you need from backup goalie. Somebody who, but you also need the backup goalie has to be you know, goalies are goofy anyways. Go, the goalies, some of the goofiest people I ever met in my life are go, are, go, are goaltenders, and the backup goaltender has to be like off the charts <laughs> because you you're sitting on the bench, you never know when you're going to get in, you know, blah, 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 you know, you've got all these things and, and they have Just to twiddle be, in your thumbs. Yeah. And they have to be ready to jump in at a minute's notice to, uh, uh, to make it all work, you know, to, to, to help the team. And, and they have to have like short memories and, uh, and, but they have to be, I, they literally, they have to be more goofy than your regular goaltenders. And, and, and that's what those were. And, and, but uh, you know, they were, they were great guys are both. We had two backup goaltenders, Wendell Young and, and Frankie Peter Angelo. Um, and they were both the same. They, they just, uh, you know, they had fun in practice. They joked around all the time, but they were ready to go when when time coming. And so when Frankie had to play that that game, that game six, 
he found out like 20, 20, 25 minutes before the game that he was, he was playing. So I was like, you talk about being ready for a playoff. You're sitting around. Oh, I'm not going to, I'll just sit on the bench tonight. And oh, Hey, you're, you're starting in the biggest game in the, in the franchise history. And so <laughs> get going. And he went out there and played. So, yeah. Jumping ahead to the cap series, you guys are trailing one, nothing in the series and you have a wild game too, which it was like seven, six in overtime. What kind of a roller coaster ride was that game? Because you're already trailing the series. This game's going back forth, back forth. The one thing about the Capitals, it was, and, and they had some really good teams back then. They had some great defense, and they had Rod Langway, Kevin Hatcher, Scott Stevens at the time was the um, was on was there. Who else? What other defenseman hit there? Oh, I can't think. Anyway, but they had some really good teams and, and some big defensemen that could really you know do a number on some of our forwards and um they had a bunch of grinding guys the dale hunters of the world and alan mays and um, ben gufferson was a good player i mean they, they had some really good team but you know what it we knew we had a better team and, and it, we knew we can outscore them it, it'd be a tough game if it was only one nothing against them or two you know two one but we knew that we can outscore them and but once again it was our it was our the guys who were supposed to step up and do it. The, the, the ones in Yager, I think Yager had a good game. He might have one or two goals that game. And I'm sure Mario had a game. Uh, I, I, I don't know the, the who scored, but nothing phased us. We were down one, nothing, but it, all right, well, no big deal. We'll just keep going. The only game that, the only time it really, we really got kind of uh, shooken up a little bit was we were playing Boston. We went down two, nothing. That's funny because it's going to be my next question. Um, just as far as game, you're down to nothing. You're returning home for game three, and there's bulletin board material that goes out, uh, courtesy of Kevin Stevens. I saw some video through the power of YouTube that says you guys were kind of jovial on the plane, like having a good time, and then it's kind of like you land and you find out, oh shit, he gave them bullet board bulletin board material. Yeah, and so they. So Kevin, you know, Kevin is Kevin is one of those guys that he he just said stuff. He just said stuff, and 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 it was very funny. And and we didn't play particularly well. And he just came. He they, after the game, we didn't know he said it. And he he said, "We're we're we're sweeping we're sweeping the next four games." That's all he said. We're sweeping the next four games. And uh, you know, and it was, but you know, back in Boston. So I'm from, so I'm from Boston originally. So my buddies were calling me, you know, and, and saying stuff, and you know, somebody, but some of the Bruins, you know, they because they were looking at like how the playoffs are working out, you know, who's going to be playing and stuff like that, and they actually started talking about, you know, the, the, they get by us, then they're going to play, you know, you know, whoever Minnesota was not in the not even in the, in the picture, but uh, you know, like like Chicago, mm-hmm. and they, and they actually were talking about, well, hey, we're, we're going to win the cup this year, you know, they, you could just. You know that that was the rumors going out of out of uh, Boston Guard at the time that uh, that's what they were going that's what they were thinking that they were going to you know get by us and, and and win the cup and you know and Kevin Stevens just you know come out and say that and and nobody said you know normally like oh Kevin oh why'd you say something stupid like that you know whatever but we all we all knew we could we were going to beat them for you know four four games I mean that was that was how confident we were. and we went down to nothing we were kind of like oh shit you know whatever but once. Clarity, clarity came in, and we had just said, you know, you know, Kevin, you're right. We we're gonna win. We'll win four straight. Is it true that your son Patrick became kind of like an unofficial mascot throughout yeah. the playoffs? And yeah. What, what was that about? So there was so Patrick at the time was um, like just going on four, and I had an, I had a set of twins at home, the twin boys at home, and they were they were a year old, and so Patrick had to get to um, like nursery school, you know, in the afternoons. So all the way, you know, the, the regular season, I would bring him to the rink with me and on the way home, I'd 
take him to, uh, uh, you know, nursery school, whatever it was, you know. And so we we just did it. It was just something we we did, and um, it just because the, the the little ones at home, it was very hard for you know uh, the wife at the time to to do that. So I would take him, and then once the playoffs rolled around. Oh, I can't bring him to the rink anymore. You know, I, I, we got to we got to buckle down and whatnot. And we were playing like crap. We played like crap because we after practice they would have a meal for us in the, in the rink, and then they had a hotel across the street, a Marriott that we can go have uh, rooms over there just to you know get some rest and, and not get disturbed and whatnot. And we were playing like crap. We didn't we weren't playing particularly well. And then, and I think it was Brian Trache said. Um, you know, hey, you know, forget. Just go back to doing what we did the whole year. You know, just go, just go home and you know, do your stuff. So I started bringing Patrick to the rink. You know, obviously I got to bring him to the rink again. You know, one of those type fatherly things. duties. Yeah, that was it. And then so, Bob, so, so we're winning. So we start winning. We're playing well, and 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 so we travel on. We go on the road. Well, we're leading up to it. So we'd had um, Bob Johnson came in and made a come. He goes, well, "What is this? Like what a romper room in here? You know, he's like a and." One of the, the one of the trainers said, "Well, no, because he's every every time he comes to a game, we win." And so Bob Jones, really, you know, really, you know, Bob, he was all like, "Really?" <laughs> so then, so we won again, and you know, Pat was there, and Patrick was there, and um, and so so we're going, we're going to leave. So we play like a, whatever, say a Tuesday, and on Wednesday we got to leave because we're going to play uh, Thursday. And he would come up to me and he'd say, "Hey, can can Patrick come on the road with us?" And I said, no, he, he's four years old, for God's sake. So I, who, I, I have nobody to watch him, you know, one of those type of things. So we ended up bringing a, um, uh, a picture of him in a, in a frame, and we put it up on the, the locker room wall. And that's, and so nobody, we didn't say anything, you know, whatever. And so reporters are walking out, they're going, you know, what's, you know, what's going on here? You know, whatever. And then it, it caught on that, you know, he was, he was our good luck charm. And so. I you know after games and stuff like he'd be like he'd sign autographs like he just like get his pencil like, they give me get him a marker and he just kind of like scribbled on pieces of paper for people and stuff like that yeah so it was actually kind of cool. Um, he, it sounds he, like the it sounds like the storyline to like some sort of like early '90s sitcom. You know? Yeah, like it sounds like one episode of an early '90s sitcom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, so like he, he'd come in the, he'd come to the rink and. Um, you know, he'd you know sit with me while I get dressed, and and when I went on the ice for practice or whatever else, he would uh, go with the trainers, and you know they have a shopping cart, you know, and they go get sticks and gloves, and you know, and he'd just go help them, and you know, and I come off the ice, and you know, we get something to eat and go to go to school, and uh, yeah, so it was he 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 doesn't remember much of it at all, um, but the picture that we we still have the picture that we we took on the road, so if we so if we are on the road and the picture was up, we lost the game. They would do something to the picture, like 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 put like a, a mustache on him, you know, to just change him a little bit, whatever it was. And then so at the by the end of it, he had like glasses, a mustache, and a little goatee and stuff like you know stuff like that. So I was waiting for you to say that by the end, he had to put money in that jar that you were saving for the end. Yeah, of the year. <laughs> yeah. you had an up close and uh, pretty uh, up close view of a pretty memor- memorable heavyweight matchup between Samuelson and um, Cam Neely. Yeah, and Cam Neely. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because people don't really, I mean, at this point, it's 30 years ago. A lot of people don't remember how big of a matchup that was. Well, because it all started when Alfie was in Hartford and they would play against the Bruins all the time. And it was just, you know, Alfie, Alfie's a guy that um, he just did it because he wanted to do it. It wasn't like, you know, we'd be winning 5-1, five, five, you know, it was like five minutes left in a game or something like that, and he'd go do something stupid like run somebody, you know, and then start a big brawl. You're like, what the, you know, let's get, let's get out of this game, you know, quick. But he would do just, just to do it. 
No, Cam Neely was already injured. He, so he, his leg was already hurt going into that series. And Alfie just exasperated it, you know, a little bit more with, you know, hitting him. And, you know, was it, was it a clean hit? It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a horrible, 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 dirty hit. Could they call them? Could they could have called a penalty? Could have maybe, um, but back then they let all that stuff go, especially in playoffs. They unless it was something horrible, um, something totally blatant, they they weren't going to call something like that. And um, and it just pretty much you know took Cam Neely right out of it. So well, the the idea was that Alf was going to be on the ice against Cam Neely all the time, and then a, a guy named Bob Erie, uh, who does the play by play for the, uh, the the color for the Penguins now. He was going to be on there with, with Ray Bork, and his whole job was to hit Ray Bork every chance he got. And he hit Ray Bork. If if he hit him once, he hit him like twenty one times in a game. I mean, he, every time Ray Bork touched the puck, Bob Erie was hitting him. And and once they took those two guys away, then then we had we had all the fire part. We could just do what we wanted with everybody else. As you guys are moving through that Boston series. Um the playoffs were kind of an uncharted territory for Pittsburgh. What what was the atmosphere like in the city, and how was that building? Crazy. It, it was crazy. Um, it, you know, because it was new. And so as we started gearing up for the playoffs, we were playing really, really well. We get in the playoffs. You know, we start winning. Everybody. I mean, it was you couldn't get you couldn't get a ticket, and and it was just crazy. People were dressed up, you know. They they had different co- they had costumes on wearing them to the games. You know, back then, you know, whoever heard of tailgating for a hockey game, but they were tailgating outside, and um, it, it, so it, and you can go anywhere. We could not go anywhere in the city of Pittsburgh w- without you know getting bombarded, or or I'd go to a um, a pirate game or you know, and you know. People would like be yelling and let's go penguins and come down for autographs and stuff. We're just trying to, you know, have a night out with the kids, you know, for a game. And um, so, but that was all new to us. You know, that was all new. So we all, we got kind of caught up in that hype as well. But, you know, we had a, a really good fan base. It just engulfed the whole Western Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio area, you know, and, um, and hockey. From there, it's like the Bobby Orr thing. It just boomed. Hockey rink started popping up all over the place, and and it was just the giant snowball effect. And that's got to make you feel good too. You know, you're kind of a part of not just winning a Stanley Cup, but essentially of, of trailblazing that area and potentially future stars down the road. Yeah, and there, there's been there's a lot of um, there's a lot of guys in the NHL right now that with Pittsburgh roots. They didn't play high school hockey in Pittsburgh. But they played their, you know, midget hockey, and then they went out to play like junior hockey in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, or whatever. They got college scholarships. But there's a lot of a lot of uh, Pittsburgh kids now that have uh, have gone in that route because they, they grew up. Their parents grew up watching us. They had kids, and you know, next thing you know, at age 18, they're able to go and you know and play somewhere. So it's it's actually pretty cool to see some of these young kids. And and actually, I know some of their parents who you know. Um, who were my age at that time. And, you know, a couple of years later, they had kids and next thing they got them in hockey. Let's jump ahead to the Stanley Cup final. You might not have spent much time in Minnesota, but how fitting was it to kind of end this chapter of your career with, with a win against the team you just came from? <laughs> it cost me some money because I had to, had to put money in the fine fund because they, they <laughs> we had to beat them. So they had... Uh, I give them a lot of credit in the world because they had some. There were some really good guys in that team. Don't get me wrong. I I, I really enjoyed the guy. The, some of the guys on the team. That was an incredibly bizarre season for them, though. They were below five hundred, and somehow in the yeah. playoffs, everything just magically clicked. Yeah, and and they 
they had a really good team. They had really good players. They had a really good team. And it was just one of those snowball things. It just happened. And you know, they got some momentum. They started playing, playing really, really well. But, you know, you, you, I had a, such a miserable time there. And like I said, it, it, hockey was not fun. It, it became uh, a business that you hated. And, and out of the blue, all of a sudden, you know, the Minnesota North, what, seriously? What the hell is going on? So you go there. Now there's 17,000 people in the stands. It's crazy. I mean, it's loud. They pump music in. It made it even louder. Um, so you didn't know how to react. You didn't know how to react to them. But, we, you know, we had home ice advantage. And what happens? You know, we lose the first game against them. You know, and it's like, it's oh, It's par my for the God. course. Yeah, it's par for the course. So we win the second game. We lose the third game. We lose. We, we win the fourth game. And then uh, we win the f- win the f- fifth game at home, and then you know. But they they actually when they won the first game, it actually talk about build uh, 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 locker room material. Um, they beat us, and they actually they actually had a, a piece of paper going around the Minnesota uh, organization of where their parade route was going to be. And, so, and you know, and and we got we got a hold of it, and you know, and um, so it was just like, oh, you know that you know it's still hard to believe people actually do that, do that kind of stuff, but they did it. And, um, it wasn't the players, but it was the organization itself. And then once, you know, we, we won that, um, we won the fourth game. We go back to Pittsburgh and next thing you know, it's like, you know, once we get up on them, we won that fifth game. There's no way we're going to lose the cup. We, we kind of knew it. And then we go to it for the sixth game. And, and, and I will tell you this, and this is a story that it's funny. So, we get to we get to Minnesota and you know they have a team meal for us. We're staying in St. Paul. We didn't even stay in Minneapolis. We stayed in St. Paul, and we have our team meal. But it's like you know it's like five o'clock in the afternoon. Like so we all we all we all go out to a bar. And we we go out drinking. So we all, you know we we had a bunch of beers and you know a couple whatever. beers, a couple juicy Lucys. Yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know and it's like holy shit. You know so. We all get back, you know, around nine, nine or ten o'clock or whatever it was, and you know, the next day it was like no big deal. We go and next, you know, we win eight nothing. It's like, you know, like, what the hell? You know, it's like it's unbelievable. And but you know that that game was was something really, really strange. So Neil Broughton, who was you know the eighty Olympic uh, star, opening faceoff for center ice, they get it, they win the faceoff, they shoot it down to our goal, Tom Barrasso, and Neil Broughton goes in and just. Hits him, runs him, like like fifteen seconds into the game, you know, gets a penalty. It was like, what the, you know, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and you know, we own a power play, and and but th- there was just stuff like that that happened all the time. They would just they would do stuff that was uh, just really strange, and um, and, and we just capitalized on it. Know much about Bob Johnson at all? Yeah, you know, no. Bob Johnson, you know, he coached the University of Wisconsin for a lot of years, and then. Um, he went up to Calgary and, and uh, never w- didn't win the cup up uh, the cup in Calgary. Uh, he was there for like two or three years, and he put the team together. And, and then he left. Um, he didn't want to coach anymore. And um, Terry Crisp went up there, and he they win the cup that year. And so he was out of hockey for you know two or three years. And and Craig Patrick coaxed him out of retirement to come whatever. So Bob was one of these guys that he never swore. I never raised his voice. He he never had never said anything negative. I mean, he, he was just like, you know, if we lose a game, we lose a game like you know, you know, we six to one. He would come in and say, you know, honestly, he would come in and say, you know, we didn't, um, uh, you know, we we didn't, our passes weren't working well, but but look at the good things we did. You know, this 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 this. 
and you've been around coaches that, you know, they're all in the greatest guys in the world. And, but at some point they're going to explode their gut. It's happening. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of time before they, they, they just go bananas. Right. And so when bought, we get there. So I get there in December and you know, the team's up and down, up and down, up and down, but he never, never got mad, never got flustered, never, you know, and he just, and it took you a while to go, Oh, he's going to blow it. Oh, we lost. Oh, we, well, he's, it's going to happen now. It's here. It comes. Here it comes. He's here holding it, comes. it all in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what we thought. He's a powder keg. And all of a sudden, but it took us a while. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, maybe he's because he never exploded. So it was like, all right, maybe he's true. And so it got to the point where, all right, hey, you know, there all the pressure's off. You don't have to worry about making a mistake. He's not going to he's not going to kill you or you know, one of those type things. And you just kind of and and, it, and you can see how the team just the confidence going like, oh, we can if I make a mistake, no big deal. He's not going to crucify me for, you know. So we get into Minnesota if we're in and he comes in the locker room and so we're up 6 nothing after two periods. And and we're usually a loose bunch. We're you know, like yelling, joking, and laughing. You know, nobody's in the locker room. They're all like walking around doing stuff. But we're in there screaming at each other. You know, forwards, get you know, get the puck in deep. You know, we're 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 at each other's throats, ready to kill each other. And uh, so it's like you know, at the three minute mark, he, he comes in to give his you know little pep talk, and and he walks in, and he's rubbing his nose, and he and he says, uh, he "Goes guys, in twenty minutes." You're going to live in history. You, you'll be in history. This is this is the, everything you the accumulation of everything you wanted to do. You know, you got 20 minutes, and then he looked around the room and he goes, "Don't fuck it up." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all all the air just went right, and guys just went. Ugh. Never heard him swear before ever, and he just he goes, "Don't fuck it up." And it was like, "Oh shit!" And the whole thing just and we just deflated. But that that last twenty minutes took it seemed like it took an hour and a half. Was it hard to stay focused? I mean, I know you guys were kind of at each other's throats in the in the locker room, but is it tough at that point where it's like you're watching the clock, you're up by seven or eight goals? It's like, is it tough to remain focused and know you still have to do your job even though it doesn't really matter at that point? Yeah, and if you so it seemed like a twenty minute game, you a twenty minute you takes like like 45 minutes you know with stops and you know whatever it is but it seemed like it took like an hour and a half and it was like oh my god is it and if you looked up and you know it's 18 minutes to go and then you, you know something happened you look up and it goes it's 17 and a half 17 and a half minutes it seemed like a half hour just went by one of those type of things like damn it, it feels it feels more like jury duty than a hockey game you know <laughs> exactly if you if you were if you ever watched the game that last 20 minutes everybody shifts lasted like like 25 seconds like get it and we were just jumping in and out jumping in and out and um it was just uh, yeah it was just no because we didn't know how to react to it you know we were like oh, how do you do this and and um I'm surprised um, you, know, you you guys didn't swap the goalies out again. Yeah, no, we were, <laughs> I think we could have got a, I don't think Tommy Tommy Brasso Tommy wouldn't have done it. You know, when if Wendell and Frankie were there, we would have done it. There's uh there's footage of you celebrating along the boards and uh you're kind of clinging to Ron Francis. I mean, it's like you have like a death hug on him. Uh, was he a guy you spent a lot of time with off the ice or was it just like habit stance that he was he was the closest one, so he was the one I'm hugging. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know we were we were all pretty close. We we didn't do a lot of hanging around. I mean, that was that's the one thing that um, that you know, like the seventies. So for the the guys you talked you talked to that played in the seventies, every day after practice they would go to a bar and you know eat lunch and drink and you know and blah blah. blah and they all hung around together for like four or five hours and went home or whatever it was, and uh, or they went out every night, you know, whatever it is. So we 
off the, away from the rink, away from the games and the practices and stuff. We we you know we maybe went to lunch or something like that, but we didn't. You, nobody really really hung around with each other, um, that type of thing. Um, but we you know was that, hey yeah, we have, we're bringing a cup to such and such a place. You know we all we all went. But yeah, you know, it was, uh, you, you know, you're just looking around going like, all right, you don't want to be the last one out hugging somebody. So you just start jumping around and, um, yeah, it was just, uh, but that was all new. We didn't, we didn't know how to react to I me. Mean, we, we really did not know how to react other than getting, being excited. Now, if you look at a lot of the stuff that goes on, you can see guys, how they stage their photos. You know, they, if you watch now, they, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, they leap over, you know, whatever to get the picture because they know, you know, all. but back then it was only maybe like a half a dozen cameras in the, you know, in the video of the movie uh, of the the TV cameras, um, there wasn't all it wasn't all these photographers and stuff like that to get to get all this type of stuff, and um, so we we just kind of did what we did, and um, and so my son, one of our sons, is the equipment manager for the Penguins now. They had equipment manager for the Penguins, and so he was able to win the last couple cups with them, and uh, but it was just funny how you, you see the pictures come out like, geez, those are great pictures, but but we had no cameras back then, you know. That's kind of cool to pass the cup down to your son, you know. That's- yeah, no, yeah, he got his name on it too, so it was actually kind of cool. And but it was funny, you know. So they back then there was no guardian of the cup. There was no guy that went around with it. It was basically, you know, I drive go down the rink and the cup be sitting in the office. Hey, can I take it? Yeah, go ahead. You take the cup and go. You know, you drive down the street. You know, it's in the passenger seat of the car, and you know, you call a bunch of guys. Hey, let's go to some dive bar, and you know, we walk in. It'd be like you know, like two drunks sitting there, and we put the cup on the thing. Next thing you know, there's a thousand people waiting to get in. You know, trying to get pictures with it, and um, so those are the fun. Those are the fun things that we did that uh, they they don't can't get away with now. But so after we won the cup, the only person that had pictures of. So the cup would actually in Mario's pool, and I had the only can- I had a camera, and I got the only pictures of the cup being in the pool. But now everybody does it. Everybody, everybody does that, all that kind of stuff. Well, Mario was actually the first one to touch the 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 uh, cup, and mm-hmm. uh, he won the Conn Smythe, forty four points, second only to Gretzky in, in a playoff yeah. run. So he he raised it, and then you guys all swarmed him. And and then from there, Francis handed it to you at one point. You kissed it, and then you handed it off to Tom Barrasso. Yeah. What's going through your mind during that whole set? That that whole like five to ten minute. Like, is it like? Do you think back to to high school and and college? And is all that stuff coming back into your mind? Well, you know, it's funny. We talk. I talked about this. You know, everything happened so fast. Believe it or not, that that the four rounds of the playoffs happened so fast. Two months. It's almost like you you couldn't catch your breath, you know. You could you couldn't try to figure out stuff, and and so after we won the cup, it was almost the same thing. You didn't know how you didn't know how to react. You didn't know what to think, other than you were so so much having so much fun. And so when I got the cup, I never even thought of it. So watching it as a kid growing up, the, like the Boston Bruins win the cup, they would one guy would take it and and pretty much make a whole lap around the ice, you know that type thing. So when I got the cup, I was like, I, I raised it up and I was like. Oh my god! I, like I, in my mind, I was like, I don't want to hog this thing, you know. And so I, I like, only, I only had it for like on the ice for like maybe like ten seconds. Yeah, it's quick because the cameras are on you. If you watch the championship video, yeah. which I watched the other day, it, you, you only have it for a couple of seconds, and then it's like, quick, give it to somebody else, you know. Yeah, I think you gave it to Barasso. I gave it to Tommy, and um, so the Wheaties box. I don't know if it's just, I have it one here. So there's a Wheaties box with the Tommy's name on it, like his picture, like the whole all of us, and I'm the guy handing the the cup to Tommy, but I, I don't get on the, I don't get on the freaking Wheaties box. So it kind of <laughs> pisses me off. Who did you kind of hang out with in the locker room and, and do any memories immediately come to mind? 
Yeah. Um, uh, well, Cough. I hung around with Cough. Uh, hung around with uh, Wendell Young, Randy Gillen. There was all we all so we all hung around together, you know, <clears throat> so to speak, and, and like we, like not like going to dinner or anything like that, but like uh, on the road, we we were always together. Everybody always did stuff together, you know. If we went out drinking or or even when we went to a, go to a movie, there was like four or five guys go to a movie. So, but but Wendell Young and and Randy Gillen were 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 my friends, uh, really good friends, and uh, Paul Coffey, you know, hung around him a lot. And this is the 30th year, so you know, hopefully with you know the pandemic, we'll be able to uh, all get together this summer. In the locker room afterwards, um, you were quoted as saying, you were on camera, you were doing an interview, and you were quoted as saying, oh, I hope they were partying in the streets because the people of Pittsburgh deserve this. They've been stuck by this team during tough times and good times, so they deserve it most of all. Yeah. Having said that, what does it mean for you and your teammates to deliver that first Stanley Cup to Pittsburgh? Believe it or not, the the the, the guys are our generation of guys, and you can't compare generations, obviously, because of um, you know totally different style of game. The money. Me and that's my dad in, have wasted many a night though doing it. Yeah, oh yeah, you know, I, I still we still do it. <laughs> but you know, it's like the the style of play, the money involved, you know, this, that, and the other. It was all kind of so you really can't compare. But the guys back then knew who pays the salaries you know it's the fans and it really does and hockey players in general are and we'll be in the middle of a crowd we don't we don't care we don't we don't have to get body we don't have the security to you know keep people away you know um you know poor mario i couldn't tell you how many suits got ruined by people coming hey can i have your autograph with a sharpie and right up the sleeve of his you know his suits and stuff you know and you know but that's that's part of it everybody everybody knew that was you know part of it and and the only times that that you didn't want to be around fans is that you get this one like a one idiot guy that thinks he's funny and he's not and he and, you know and he comes up and he starts acting like an ass and you know and it kind of ruins the night you know oh hey you think you're tough you know one of those type things and you know and those are the only the bad things we are around we are around the fans all the time we were you know if we were after a game we go out to uh, like everybody all the, uh, the the players and their wives we all get together we like, go to the same bar or something like that and we all sit there in the middle of everybody and even in the cup runs we we're at these places that you know it was just an absolute zoo but you know we're we're comfortable in that kind of stuff and we're you know, hockey players seem to be just we're normal guys that you know enjoy you know sitting in dive bars or whatever is and, and just you know somebody wants to talk we'll talk if somebody wants to hear old stories we'll tell them old stories you know, just when they, you know, every once in a while you get a guy that's a jerk and it kind of ruins it. It's a shame now, though, because they can't really, players can't do that anymore. They can't go to the bar after a game and hang out and bullshit because somebody's got a phone or somebody wants to piss yep. and moan that they're not practicing because they think that they're machines and that's all they should do. And it's it's a shame that that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, no, it is. And the, the technology kind of ruined everything for a, a lot of people. And um, you can't go out and have fun anymore. Do I feel bad for them? No. No, because they're making a lot of money. And <laughs> yeah, I understand it. But, you know, but, you, I but mean, those uh, stories aren't there anymore. You no. know, it's It sucks some of the life and some of the fun out of it. Well, you guys had a lot of fans waiting for you at the airport when you got back. What was that like to have? Crazy. There was like 40,000 fans there. And it's, you guys are in a bus and there's people just kind of like climbing on the side a little bit and trying to shake your hand like what was that whole experience like well you know it's funny so we after after we win so we're in the locker room so the game gets over around 10 o'clock you know, I, I, i'm just gonna try to get some numbers in. so the game gets over around 10 
we're all still in our uniforms at like a, a 11:30 quarter to 12 you know and you know we still our skates on the locker room is just so i had some friends i played i played college hockey with that live in minnesota and they came into the, they came to the game and they were in the locker room too and we had um uh, you know and the and the people at the Met Center actually were really good. They brought they they already they bought a bunch of beer for us, you know, and we had other beer, you know, whatever. So we were having a great old time. Well, it's getting to be like, you know, it's like eleven o'clock or whatever it is. They're like, oh, sh-, you know, we gotta we have to be we have to be on the plane by one o'clock because they have a, a noise or- ordinance that you can't take off after a certain time. So so it was like it was like twelve fifteen, and they're going like, hey, you got you got to get going, you know, whatever. So. They kind of cleared as many people out of the locker room they can. We all ran into the other, you know, and and packed our stuff and showered, and and we get on the thing. We get on the plane, but there were so many people on the plane, there wasn't enough seats for everybody, and they still let us take off. You know, so it was oh my god, yeah, it was people were standing up. The plane was taken off, and so and then we're you know we're still you know they got all so we're drinking. We're on the so we're in the back of the plane, so it's. All the management and and a whole bunch of people in the front, all the players in the back, and so I'm, I'm like one of the very last seats. We take off, and the captain gets on, you know, does this congratulations. I think, hey, we're, you know, it's going to be an hour and whatever how many minutes to uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, well, you know, so he comes back on a little bit. And he goes, hey, just so you know, there's going to be about it's like it seems like there's about ten thousand people at the the, the airport. So we go a little farther, and you know, he comes back on. So we just got reports. There's about twenty five thousand people at the airport. And it kept going, and so we as we're getting closer and closer, and they're going like, "Well, they shut down the they shut down the parkway because there's over a hundred thousand people at the airport, and everybody just came out of the city, and there there you can't drive on that parkway. I mean, it's it's totally shut down. So we have no idea how we're going to get out of the airport because we have to go to the commercial side, not the um the, the where you do the charters. Back then, you know the old. So you can you can actually just walk right up to the gate from outside. So we so we get out. Everybody starts. So they have it all opened up a big alleyway. Everybody's walking down. By the time we get off the plane, that whole thing's gone. I mean, there is no aisle to walk down. We actually just had to kind of work our way through. So they kept they had somebody a megaphone or whatever. Say, hey, all right, just everybody just keep walking straight. So we finally get out. They have buses out there for us. Those little shuttle buses and people climbing in the windows. And it took us. And we couldn't even get home. We had to go. We, we went out this back way, and we ended up downtown Pittsburgh. But it took us like an hour and a half to get, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to get from the airport all the back way into the and this city. This is the middle of the night, right? Oh, this is like three or four o'clock in the morning. And you know, so we ended up. We all got hotel rooms just because then we all took cabs back home. Or, you know, to, we had to go get our cars and at the airport and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it was just, it, it was absolutely crazy. And when the Steelers, last time the Steelers won the Super Bowl, they said there was 20,000 people at the airport and they were able to handle it. You know, they said, oh, well, and their, their mindset was, well, we can handle this. And when they got to 100,000 people, they, they didn't have enough police there. They didn't have, they didn't know what the, they never expected it. And uh, it, it was, and then, it, yeah, it was. It shows just, the, it shows the impact that the team has on the city as yeah. well, you know? And it was, you know, and then it was like a lot of young kids who really jumped on it and they were all downtown drinking the whole time, you know, so the south side of Pittsburgh was, you know, everybody's out drinking. So that the alcohol didn't help the fact that they were just going to go bomb out to the airport and, you know. Well, speaking of alcohol, how did the parade unfold for you? We um, didn't have a parade because they weren't in the, 
the word we got was because they they didn't know how many people they would be able to handle in the city to to have the part to have a a, a a parade. So what they did was at the point where you know the big water big um, water fountain is there. Uh, there's a stage there, and so we actually had a rally there. They called it a rally because they they can actually corral people into an area and not have to worry about the whole streets and stuff like that. So it, it actually kind of sucked that we didn't have a parade. Because would have been because the penguins with the past past few years had parades and it was it was unbelievable, and then the '92 we won it again. We actually had it in Old Three River Stadium, so they had it, no parade though. It was just another no parade, another rally. yeah, another yeah. So we kind of missed out on that kind of stuff, but it was it was actually kind of good. To, all uh, Patrick, my, my son Patrick, was up on stage with me. You know, when he when I, when they introduced, I got up and got the cup, and Pat was with me, and he was scared to death because there were so many people and screaming and hollering, and uh, it was fine at the time. But you kind of look back on, it, I wish you know, I wish you were able to drive through the streets or whatnot. With uh, with you guys winning it all, and it was kind of unexpected that year. Was it was it on your mindset to get like? not a foregone conclusion but it, did you guys expect to get back next year like we're doing this again and if we rattle off one we might rattle off two three four that that wasn't the mindset that we were gonna win uh two but we knew we could and we knew we had a, a a good team and we knew we were you know we were gonna get better um and then we made the um we actually really tough we had to get rid of uh mark recce uh, I went to the uh, Flyers with, uh, and Paul Coffey, and we picked up uh, Rick Tockett and Shell Samuelson, and um, you know, and, and so it was. It, you know, you, you added, you, you get rid of pieces to add pieces, and Tockett brought us, uh, um, you, you know, a really, really tough, tough forward uh, fighter. You know, a, a quality team guy that could score goals, and you know, you, you get on Mario's line, and nobody. You know, nobody went near Mario because Doc was going to go, Doc would go crazy, which he often did. Oh, he did. Yeah, he actually uh, Mario gets slashed a few times. We were playing the Rangers, and Mario gets slashed a few times. And um, and I remember Talk went up to Mark Ness and he said, "If anybody touches, you know, Mario again, like that, you know, he cheat shot him like that again because he told Ness he was going to break his wrists." You know, and and Phil and Mario didn't get cheap shot anymore. I mean, he got hit, but he didn't get cheap shotted. And um, you know, but Talk brought that thing, and I think he, I think Talk scored forty forty five goals that year or something like that. Something something ridiculous that uh, you know. But that's you know, go to the net, Mario. Get him the puck and put it in. So <laughs> those guys are kind of guys like Rick Tockett are definitely a dying breed. I mean, there's not too many of them that exist these days. I mean, the enforcer doesn't really exist to begin with, so it's definitely a dying breed. If you if you can if you can fight play physical and and do all the other things, you you, you can make a lot of money. Right now, that the 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 one one dimensional tough guy is not there anymore. Yeah, the Darren you know? McCarty's and and the Rick Tockets and those guys they're they're all but gone. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the last the last that that's a whole different whole different animal because you know you you got to be you got to like to do that. And then you got to like that you're going to play a lot of minutes too. I mean, it's just it takes a lot out of you to do that all the time, and they and they enjoyed it. So more power to them. Let's jump to uh, the cup. How did you spend your day with the Stanley Cup the first time? So back, well, back then they didn't have a day. They didn't do those. They, oh really? No, 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 no. So the the cup was in Pittsburgh for like a week. Man, you kind of got gypped. Yeah. Well, so what happened was, so the say we win it, and, you know we're get to mess around with it for a week or so and 
Then it had to go because they had they have commitments with it. They had to go to different things and whatever. Then they had it back in Pittsburgh. You know, so you'd be down the rink and be sitting there and say, "Hey, can I take it?" Yeah, and we took it and you know we did our stuff and what a big deal. So I wanted to do something for my hometown. So what I did was I called the 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 Hall of Fame and said, "You know, this is this is I'd like to do this. I'll pay for the the flight and everything for the you know to get to Boston and I, I want to raise money for my." Um, for youth hockey to buy equipment and stuff like that for the, you know, for, for the kids and, and things like that. And That's like, awesome. And they're like, yeah, okay, no problem. So <laughs> they, they, they actually, they paid for everything too. They, they booked the flight and they, they said, yeah, you're going to be at the, uh, whatever terminal it was for cargo. And, um, yeah, you just go pick it up. So I drive in with my buddy. I go home, I go back, I'm back. So I go and we drive in and we pull up like, Tell them who I am. They they pull it up and they go, "Hey, is that what we think it is?" I said, "Yeah." And they go, Can we? So I took it out and they know. So we're out looking around and like there's nobody traveling with. They just put it on a plane and I picked it up. So I take it back and um, so we're in bought. So I have it for like they told me I could have it for like three days, you know. And so so I get it and um, so the next day is going to be the thing. I'm going to have people come take pictures with it and um, you know they they have to you know pay for the pictures, but the, all the money goes to the youth hockey and they can you know do that kind of stuff so so that day when i got it we went back and so i took it to the hospital and um you know just uh, took it to the, the the pediatric ward and whatnot and turns out some somebody from pittsburgh was driving back from maine and going through uh, boston to get to pittsburgh and his wife went into labor had a baby in my hometown so i got they got the ba- brand new baby picture of it sitting in the cup you know from pittsburgh and so we did a bunch of stuff like that and um we had a party, uh, you know, we had a couple of parties and um, took it to a couple of bars. And then uh, the next day we had the um, the, the big um, thing. And, and, you know, then the next day I just had it for a little bit and everybody just kind of, we played with it for a little bit and I packed it up and shipped it back. Yeah. And so I was like the only person that ever did it like that. And I think, I don't know if that's the reason why they started it at all, but that, yeah. So I got it and, and nobody else had the day with it. I mean, they just, if it was in Pittsburgh. They used it, they took it and they did the stuff, but that was it. So nobody would reach out and like if they lived in Wisconsin, they wouldn't have it shipped to their house and and not back they then. Wouldn't at, yeah, and not, they wouldn't even ask. I mean, nobody no, else on the team. No, has. nobody, nobody ever really did anything. And basically, if you were going to mess with it, you know, take it, it was basically the you know, on the city you won the cup in, and that was you had it for the day and whatever it was. Uh, and then I advertised that it was going to be in my hometown. Um, only to get people out there to spend money to you know make money and that's what it was. But you know it's like you, you try to tell them. You said, "Listen, you think big. It, it it's not just for the the people in my hometown. It's it's for everybody. But why not take those people's money and bring it back in our hometown? You know. But they, a lot of people just couldn't get it. Like, well, you know, we really didn't want to advertise everywhere that type of thing. I was like, well, that's the whole gist of this thing is to bring it home to make money and so it kind of it kind of pissed me off a little bit but anyway um but the day i was sending it back you know a couple guys from boston that that they were on our team called hey can we can i can we come pick it uh, get the cup i said well i gotta i gotta ship it back they said if you can call you call the the hall of fame then you know if they will let you do it that's fine but i have to take this i i think has a flight like at you know one o'clock in the afternoon i have to get back there so but and nobody and then nobody else got it or did anything with it. So it's funny because it's almost like the people's trophy now, and that's kind of I mean 
who knows if you're the first one to kind of originate that, but it's obviously you trailblazed it and it was kind of on that path. And, and that's why the Stanley cup is probably the greatest trophy in sports. It's not just the fact that every player gets to hold it and skate around with it, but the fact that every player gets their time with it and every player gets to enjoy it. And thus those communities get to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, and like, I, I I take it back to, um, the, the staged, um, things that they do now, uh, we did it more of just uh, spontaneous, you know, and, you know, whatever it is now they got, you know, you know, they got a camera crew there, they got this and, you know, they got that and they're doing all these different things. And it's like, oh, well, you know, it, what, other, other than what I did trying to raise money, it was basically just, it, it was a, it was take it to a bar and, and, and for a conversation piece. So, you know, that was, that's basically what we, we think. And now all these, a lot of these guys use it as a, com- a commercial for their, uh, you know, off the ice stuff, you know, which is, yeah. which is a little different. Uh, what have you been doing since your NHL career ended? What what's kind of occupying your time these days? So when I well these days, so when I when I first retired, um, I did the broadcast for the Penguins uh, radio. When I did the radio for like four years, and uh, I did TV for one year. And did then, you like doing that? Did you like being on the media side of things? Um, I did, and I didn't. Uh, the the at that time, it was when um, the Penguins were really struggling on the ice, and um, we uh and it was very hard to be uh, I, and i'd never wanted you to, I, I they wanted you to be a homer as far as a uh a, a, a color guy is you know like oh everything's rosy everything's rosy and you couldn't because you lose total credibility if you know because everybody sees the game they look they, you know they're playing like crap you can't you know you can Hey, that guy made a mistake. No big deal. He'll get, you know, whatever it is. But the guy makes the same mistake over and over and over and over again. You have to call him out. You you really do have to call him out. And so they don't want to hear your opinion if it's not bad. They only want to hear it if it's good. Exactly. So so it was kind of it was kind of hard. It was fun, but it was kind of hard. And then um, I I left that and went into private business. And um, we were in the office furniture and and copier businesses. We had a, a bunch of locations up and down the East Coast. And Somebody wanted me to join. This is how dumb, you know, athletes are sometimes that they, uh, when I first retired, the guy asked me, hey, come in. We're, we're just starting this company. Be a part, full partner with us, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to stay in sports, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and then five years later, you know, they they went from one one business to you know, like 35 businesses and they're all making millions of dollars. And you're like, ah, oh, geez, I stuck in, you know, one of those type things. So, um uh, so I did that. We did that for a while, and then uh, we ended up selling. We, we had like thirty copier companies up and down the East Coast. We ended up selling that to Toshiba. So after that, I got into the construction business, and um, um, I worked for a big construction outfit in uh, in Pittsburgh. And I was a uh, like foreman, traffic supervisor for them. So I was actually, and when somebody shuts down the highway, I was the guy that shut it down, you know, that type of thing. So it was, so I get a lot, of, a lot of people pissed off at me. <laughs> Is that tough though? Because they, in Pittsburgh, they kind of know who you are. So it's like, this guy's being an asshole, but I know he's a two time Stanley cup winner. Yeah. They kind of look at you like, Wait a minute, what the, uh, what, <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> but yeah, no, actually I really, I, I, I missed I, I missed being, doing that. Cause growing up, I was, I did some construction work and I really missed it. And then I was able to get back in, and I loved it. I I, I loved everything about it. Um, um, it just uh, right at the end of my career doing that, um, somebody uh, came in our work zone and um, hit me with a car. <laughs> so oh. it, so popped my hip. I had to get my hip replaced. So I had to re- retire from that business. And then um, then three years ago, my wife um, 
uh, and I moved to Atlanta for for her for her job. So uh, so we've been down here for three years. So uh, you also are one of the few NHL players that was also featured on WWF. And I just <laughs> I had to ask about this because I love stupid weird pop culture trivia like this. Yeah. So you were involved in the Yokozuna body slam. Challenge. Yes, I was. I watched some footage. Uh, so it was essentially just like athletes and celebrities, just a handful trying to lift a 500 pound wrestler. Yeah. So, um, so in nine, after the 92 season, I, um, Pittsburgh left me unprotected. I had surgery and they figured, well, nobody's going to pick you up. But Phil Esposito picked me up for Tampa Bay. So I was, I went down for the first year of expansion in Tampa. And, uh, it, I, I call it my sabbatical because I got traded back to Pittsburgh, you know, you know, like in February of the, you know, I was down there for like five months, whatever it they was. They played at the Trop then, didn't they? No, no. We, we, we played at the fairgrounds. It was, oh. it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> and, um, so anyways, um, I became friends with Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South. And, um, he would bring his kids to the games and great, great guy, you know, and we do like blah, blah, blah. So I get traded back to Pittsburgh. So that year, um, all of a sudden my phone rings and it's Vince McMahon. And it was like, Hey, you know, Hey, Peter's Vince McMahon, you know, WW, uh, WWF and, uh, uh, Jimmy Hart gave me your phone number and he thought you might be interested in doing something like this. And, you know, this is what we're doing at the, you know, the USS Intrepid in New York Harbor. And, um, would you be interested? And I said, and so at the time, like, like, you know, the kids were like six and four, you know, six and two, four, you know, it's like, they'd love it. Cause they watch for, they've, you know, it's like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. What the hell? So they flew us in, put us up. We're at the Waldorf. And, um, you know, we, they have a party the night before and, you know, so we're sitting in there with all the, all the wrestlers that I grew up with, you know, the Freddie Blassies of the world and, you know, um, uh, Chief J Strongbow was there and then the Steiner brothers were there and Tatanka were there and, you know, so it was, it was actually kind of really cool. So the next day we get up and we go to the Intrepid and so we're back, you know, inside the ship and they're kind of explaining what's going on. And so all these guys, you know, like Tatanka and the Steiner brothers, they have my, they're wrestling with my kids on the floor, you know, like they're doing all the holes and, you know, doing you know, messing around and, uh, and then, then all of a sudden, this is what you're going to do. So they put me up on, uh, so they, so there was like, they, they got two hockey players, two basketball players, um, a couple football players, a, a jockey, you know, um, I'm trying to think what else was there. I don't think, I, I think there was a race car drive there. I can't remember, but then it was, you know, like 20, wrestlers as well but it was actually really it was actually a lot of fun i get i get so many people ask me about it you know and it's it's it, it's that stupid trivia that not everybody knows about but all of a sudden it's like every july that's, that's my favorite every july 4th on twitter somebody posts it's yokozuna you know peter tags yokozuna day and they post a video and so every so then i have to retweet that out so everybody sees it so more and more people know about it now than they did then obviously but where do you keep your two stanley cup rings and do you wear them much these days yeah they're, they're not in display they're not in display that so they're they're in their case and um they're, they're locked away um and i wear it i wear it every uh i wear that so you watch what stand, what the rings look like now, you know, from when we wore it, when we wanted, you, you know, they made them for, you know, a 200 pound guy, 210 pound guy, and you can wear it every day because it actually looks like a ring you could wear every day. It looks like a high school graduation ring almost. Yeah. And then the second year we won it, Howard Baldwin decided he was going to hire a guy that he knew out in California that did it from football team. So the ring got bigger. 
and and you can wear it, but it's it's big, you know. And then if I showed you what my son's one look like right now, you can't even put it on your finger without your fingers spreading apart like that. You know, it's crazy. But you can't wear it anymore. But I could wear mine, and I wear it every now and again, depending where we go someplace that I knew people might want to see it. Um, but yeah, it's just um, it, you know, really isn't. Um, uh, if I go back to Pittsburgh, I, I could wear, I'd wear it and stuff like that. People really understand it down here. Nobody like what, what's, what's the Stanley cup. They have no idea. So Peter, thank you for your time today for speaking with us and uh, for kind of relieving the glory days. It was, it was a lot of fun. Well, um, anytime uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to I one two. This podcast is produced by Ed Miller and me, Max Morgan of Malik's media. I one two is available wherever podcasts are found. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can find us on Instagram at I12Podcast. Until next time.